Welcome to Follow Your Curiosity, where we explore the inner workings of the creative process. I'm your host, Nancy Norbeck. Just a quick note to let you know that the creative tune-up kit I mentioned a few weeks ago is now available. If you are stuck in your creative process in any way, whether you're lapsed or never got started in the first place, even if you don't know what you might want to do, I made the creative tune-up for you. More details at the link in the show notes. Check it out and start getting unstuck today. Musician Paul Bessenbacher, known to his friends and fans as PB, lives a genuine optimism best summed up in his signature statement, it's going to be great. PB has followed the flow of that sentiment from an undergraduate degree that let him experiment with every genre he could find, to learning recording engineering on the fly, to forming a band, more of a collaboration, called Opus Orange. Oh, and he also composes for film. We talk about all that and particularly about how he navigates the flow, avoids being bogged down by worry, and why we should all embrace failure and give each other grace for being imperfect. Here's my conversation with PB, Paul Bessenbacher, which I have a feeling will stick with you for a while. Welcome to the show, PB. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you. Thanks for being here. So I am curious to know how you got started on your creative journey. Uh, that I mean, that goes back to early when I was maybe uh, seven or eight. And my mom, my dad bought my mom a piano for Valentine's Day because he thought it would be a romantic because pianos are romantic. And he, <laughs> he didn't know how to play and she didn't know how to play. But um, uh, there was a piano in our living room and they were like, well, I guess we put we put our kids to lessons, right? And that's when it started. So I was about seven or eight. And um, I had a wonderful teacher right off the bat, um, Dorothy Kilgus. She was wonderful. She is wonderful. Um, and w one of the things cr creatively, since this is a creative creativity um, subject, but creatively, she she encouraged her students to every year she would have a composition sort of contest and so when i was eight i was like i don't know what what that means i'm gonna i'm gonna enter this contest and compose a compose something and i you know i as a pianist you learn the key of c and you learn where to put your hands and um so i wrote this little march it was an, it was an olympic year at that time i wrote this march in the key of c i called it march of the champions because of the olympics um and uh Ever since then, I I wrote a I wrote a track every year, and so it, it was great that as a as a piano teacher, though a lot of them focus on learning and repertoire and technique and learn the classics. She always encouraged exploration, creative creatively, um, which you know form, that's formative for me for sure. Yeah, absolutely, and I'm thinking to my own music lesson experiences and they definitely did not ever include by the way you should write your own thing right so i have to think that having that chance and, and not even just you know oh you could write your own thing but please do write your own thing there's such a huge difference between those two that having that happen at that age definitely would have made much more of, a, of an impression than you would think which right Sounds like it certainly did in your case. It certainly did. And I didn't know that that was rare, of course, because that's all I knew. But um, 
I, in retrospect, I'm eternally grateful to her for that encouragement of that sort of side of the brain that we don't get to, or there's, there's so much, there's a, uh, there's so much risk that that we all sort of feel when we like whether we improvise or like even like for me to do a podcast where I'm just speaking is like it's it's in the moment and there's risk involved. I might say something wrong and and same with creative and composition like that is rarely encouraged and a, there's rarely a safe place to to be able to fail or like. Um, get wrong do things wrong um but in in composition it is it is a it is it is a kind of an improvisational thing where i don't know how it's going and and, th and that kind of that kind of safety there's it's good to have a place where you're safe to do that definitely so that was when you were eight with piano but you have quite the array of various guitars, banjos, et cetera, on the wall behind you. So how did you move from piano into other instruments? Um, in junior high, my, my next instrument was bass. Um, in junior high, I, I remember I started to get into jazz um, and the junior high had a jazz ensemble. Um, and as a pianist, I mean, everyone's a pianist. So like, there's no shortage of pianists. Um, but there was a shortage in bass players. So like, at that point, I remember they had a, they had a, a, a an old Fender Rhodes bass, which I sure wish I had one. But because they're awesome. Um, but it's like a, it's like a keyboard bass. So like, mm. as a pianist, I could, I was sort of somehow relegated to play the bass lines on this keyboard bass. Um, and so, and then that quickly was like, why don't I learn how to play bass? And I got an electric bass at that point. And I even tried tuba. No, I'm, I'm not, I'm not uh, good at anything that I have to use, uh, wind for, but, um, <laughs> so, uh, I, I, I got an electric bass in junior high. And so that, that kind of like got me going on another instrument besides piano. And then I also had an older brother who, who was very, who, who listened to all sorts of music and he got a guitar and I would borrow it sometimes an acoustic guitar. And, um, so I would kind of fiddle around on that. The cool thing about piano as a foundation is that you, you have the entire palette the entire orchestra essentially from from the tubas and the low end to piccolos and to glockenspiels on the high end and then you have everything in, be in between uh that we sort of live in typically um so the foundation of a piano is even graphically it's almost like this it's almost like graph paper for music um you have everything that you kind of need to jump off into into dabbling with other instruments um even being able to understand a guitar also a, a sort of a has a graph uh layout um knowing piano and theory and chords and stuff so like piano is pretty it's a good instrument if i for any musician to know um because it, it, i was able to jump off into other instruments and try things out as a as not 
I didn't get lessons in that stuff, but I would just kind of falter away and fumble my way through learning instruments. Um, and, you know, same with like the banjo or the ukulele, the, oh, okay, it's a new tuning. Let me figure that out. Um, but just because I had the foundation in piano and theory, I was able to fumble my way through other instruments, which has been a, you know, a necessary skill as a composer is to have the, like I said earlier, the palette of colors and be able to make things um, all, you know, all sorts of things at any time. So like, that's why it's a, it's a good skill. It's a good skill that I, you know, I will continually try to learn instruments. That's cool. My, my mother was a lot like that when she was in high school, she played flute and she would walk up to other people before the football game and say, can I try your trombone? You can try my flute. And so she kind of picked up little bits of everybody's stuff, not not enough to, you know, compose on them or anything, but but still to to play around with it. And my my brother has the disgusting ability to just play anything he wants. I'm not jealous. Really, I'm not. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> liar, liar, pants on fire. But um, but no, I think that's I had never really thought about the piano as a springboard to everything else, but that makes sense to me, even though I only took piano for a couple of years, you know, you do get all the keys, all the chords, all of that kind of stuff, and then just translate it to everything else. It must make it so much easier. It does. I I and it's you know, even in college, one of the when you go to music school or anything, the the piano proficiency is like what you have to do, even if you're not a piano major. Um they be, and I think they do that for that reason. Like it's, it is a formative foundational instrument. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad I was brought up in that, in that way. And I'm, it's a, it's a great, it's a foundational way to understand sort of music and music theory and chords and harmony as yeah. opposed to like, if you, if you just played flute, for example, it, that those kinds of music theory and, and, how chords work together might not totally make sense because you're only playing one note at a time. It's a little harder. You don't have the necessarily the full sort of what happens when you play these mm -hmm. together, you know? Yeah. So what did your parents think about you turning into a music nerd right before their eyes? Were they supportive? Were they wary? Were they some of each? How did that go? Um, there was definitely a, there, there was a, a little bit of each, but at, at their heart, at the heart of it, they were very supportive. Um, yeah, when I decided to go to college for piano performance, for classical piano performance, it, that was, that was a moment where they were all, all completely behind me. They were all for it. And I didn't go to, to, to a music school to, get a career, which a lot of people think of college as a career building thing. Um, and my, my goal in going to music school was to learn music, um, like to learn classical piano. I knew I wasn't going to be a classical pianist on stage. I knew I didn't want to teach. Um, those are kind of the trajectories career wise for people that go into performance as a degree. Um, but I, I, I knew I, th that wasn't it. My, my goal really was just to learn this art form as 
deeply as I can for, for four years. And, and, um, and that it it was valuable moving on to my career, but it wasn't that it wasn't necessary, you know? (laughs) Um, yeah. So yeah, they, my parents were supportive though. Um, they, they totally backed me up along the way and, you know, they knew the challenges of being, I mean, being creative and in a, a career is a tricky thing in this world. Um, and they knew those challenges, but were were behind me and supportive, and I'm grateful to that. Did they have any kind of creative sidelines, hobbies, things like that themselves? Since the piano was sort of an odd but interesting Valentine's gift. Yeah, right. Um, my dad was a woodworker, um, and he would go into his woodworking shop on the side of the house and make all sorts of stuff from kaleidoscopes to he made his own woodworking bench and to various things around the house um and that that was his that was his outlet um my mom she sews and does um embroidery and that kind of thing so she has a a room with a bunch of sewing fancy sewing machines and that's that's her outlet um creatively so yeah they they both my my dad definitely had a creative outlet. Um, he he wouldn't think of himself probably I don't know as creative. He was a he was a hard working air conditioning and cooling you know mechanic. Um, that's that's what he did. Uh, um, but he he did you know on weekends he would go out and he that would be his outlet. Um, and. Uh, yeah, my mom still does so, and uh, she she's great at it, and she That's loves great. it. Yeah. So it wasn't completely alien to them when you turned into a little musician in the making. Yeah, I I I mean, I don't know. At at some point, you got to just go with the flow of things. Um, I don't think they had a vision or a or necessarily when as they saw me progressing in music they just we, as we all kind of do and it kind of just go with what you're good at and um it wasn't i don't i that that makes it so there's not necessarily surprises or letdowns that's an interesting point yeah so in terms of that flow since you said you didn't go to school to become a classical musician, you just wanted to get as much understanding of music as you could. Did you have any idea when you were still in those four years where you wanted to go when you were done? Um, in those four years, I, I, I've always been kind of scatterbrained in music. Like I played in all sorts of different ensembles and different genres from bluegrass to indie rock to folk to metal to and i would just say yes to everything and 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 really um enjoy and thrive in in sort of the variety um and so that at the same time trying to make sure i got through my recitals and and they call them juries if mm-hmm. yeah juries and recitals um and make sure i graduate somehow um 
So like um, I, I was scatterbrained in the, in the best way. I mean, that's the time to do it is, and, and it, was, it was a lot of, it was super fun, but that variety moving on post into a, somewhat of a career in music, I, I kind of was, I found, I mean, I had always composed and written songs and, and that kind of thing, but I, I, it, that vision kind of honed a little bit for me. I knew I, I was trying to like working with bands and learning the studio aspect of things, which I, I didn't like microphones and cables and signal flow and preamps and compressors and EQs and going into recording device. Like a, at that time we had like, they were called ADATs, which was like this tape machine, eight track tape machine or a four track cassette or the, the, like all of that, the sort of engineering side, the production side of music. I was starting to get into and trying to learn from just watching my friends that were good at it. Um, and after college, I, I got, I, I had a, um, a connect through school that I went to this guy's studio and I just kind of hung out for like a few days. And, and eventually he started to ask me to do things and like record this. And so I had to learn on the spot it was kind of like an internship, but it was, it was not an internship. I just kind of like showed up and didn't leave. Um, and, and learned how to, uh, what, whether it's programming MIDI and like setting up microphones and making sure that person has their right headphone mix and like those kinds of really studio production, um, skills that are, that, that I didn't learn, you know, at the piano, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, so that, that um playing in all those various bands and then learning music production that's where i'm that's where i'm getting to with this those two those two things kind of have have guided me to want to you know write music at that point i wanted to i wanted to write for anything whether it was and my early post college stuff was like i wrote for like a puppet theater stuff or at different theater shows or an indie film or um, you know, whatever I, whatever I could. And that's when I was, I was eventually, his name is Mark. He hired me as a little, as like an assistant. So that was, that was great. And I would kind of write different cues for, if he had an independent film, I would be able to like sit in and write something. Um, and that, that fueled the, my, my sort of love of both production and composition. Um, coming coming together uh for some often to picture or often to a stage thing so there was a scoring element um it wasn't just writing music it was uh it was like interactive with something visual um mm -hmm. which was exciting and i i really thrived and loved that and so that's how that and when you when you get hired as a composer having all of the having some of those genres that and the variety in uh, helps uh, sort of make you a little more viable um i can you know it makes it helps me to be able to turn on a dime if somebody wants a big band track sure i got you if somebody wants a heavy metal track yeah i got you because i did those things um and so i can kind of uh, adapt to uh, a, an assignment or a scene or whatever is called for. 
Yeah, there's there's a lot of merit in the go try all the things. I mean, you you literally said a couple of minutes ago, I said yes to everything. Yeah. It's, you know, you can't possibly have been thinking at the time because someday I'm going to need everything. And yet here you are. So it sounds like that just all has come together beautifully. It it has. Uh, and beautifully is, um, I mean, like I, I, it to, to be like, it's hard, <laughs> like, to be honest, it's really hard. And so it's, it's often trying to do this for a living is not a beautiful hustle. It's, it's hard, hard work um, to land the next gig and to get the next thing. Um, so uh, sometimes it's, it is coming together beautifully when like things are busy and I'm working and there's a, there's a energy and it's less beautiful when I'm out there not doing music and instead trying to find the next job. And like, that's really a part of being creative as well. That, um, that it's, it balances that other side, which they don't, they don't really teach you in school. And I mean, you maybe take one class on like how to make a living, but it's, it's, it, it doesn't really get to the heart of it, but yeah, it, I'm, I'm grateful to, to, to do music at any degree and I want to always do it. Um, and it's a hustle so, for, for me anyway, Yeah, <laughs> not for everyone. Did you kind of, I mean, I'm, I'm sort of interpolating here from what you were saying a couple minutes ago. So tell me if I'm wrong, but it seems like through the process of, I'm just going to show up and hang out in this studio, which I feel like is a brilliant strategy if you can get away with it. You probably were exposed to a lot of the things that you needed to learn to figure out how that hustle worked. Does that, does that sound right? Has that just kind of taken you from one step into the next? Um, that did that did definitely help because this was a working music production studio and they had jobs. I didn't know how they got the jobs. They had some jobs. Um, it wasn't it wasn't like a, a heyday of jobs. And I did see like them hustling. But at the time, I was just I was really focused on like, how do I learn how to be an, like an engineer and do all these things that Mark was asking me to do and do it quickly and do it well. Um, but I did see sort of behind the scenes of, of the hustle um, and the sort of um, the, the downside of that I, it was, you know, at some point he, he had to let me go. He couldn't afford me because they didn't have the work. So like that was in Chicago. And at that, at that point when that happened, my wife and I made the choice to leave Chicago because the work like again, creative work. And this was, this was post post nine 11 when the economy was like, not many people were just spending money on creative original music at that point. Um, and it, re and it really kind of stung. So we, we made the choice to move to Los Angeles, um, open a 0% credit card and put it on the moving company and like get out. And like, it was a risk. We didn't have any money or savings or anything, but we, we came out to LA because there was more of an industry for, um, original music. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I, I did the hustle and eventually, eventually landed a job um, writing music at a music production company called Ad Music, which became Emoto Music, which became eventually the 
music production company that I now run with, with my business partner, Paul Schultz. Wow. So it's still just all progresses, even though, I mean, and I hate to put it that way because it makes it sound like it was all just obvious and easy and, oh, look, there's the next thing. And I'm pretty sure that's not how that went. And yet it did all land where it seems like everything was supposed to land. Things. Yeah. I mean, I, like, like we said, like the, you got to follow, follow things. Um, I, I prefer to, to, see where energy goes rather than sort of have visions where I'm, my life is going to go or, or whatever, even with composition. Like I, I try to let it lead me as it happens instead of saying, I'm going to write this kind of track or, uh, I'm going to land this kind of job. I, I, it's kind of, I, I, I like the, the, the flow aspect of, both in, in whether it's that life progression like that um, and l- saying yes to everything and see where it goes and being open. Um, I approach that in general with, uh, with most things that I'm creating too as well. It seems wise to me just because I think when we get too attached to the idea of what we want something to be, we don't leave room for it to show us things that we might not have seen otherwise. I wholeheartedly sort of agree and sort of live by that, which is, you know, one of your pre-questions was, do you, what has surprised you? And I was like, I don't, I don't have, I try not to have those expectations. So then I just don't get surprised. Um, And in in that same in that same sort of context um letting it uh, yeah not not expecting things or not forcing things to be what we think they should be allows it to become something else and maybe become better than we would have envisioned otherwise yeah and i think it lets us be more curious about it which also lets it bloom too cuz then you can just go hmm what's that yeah. Instead of, I didn't want that part. Make that go away. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I follow that. I follow that sort of that mentality and that gear. Like, like I said, like with, with writing, with production and being, being open to even how to record something differently or how to perform something differently or there, like there's not the right sound that I need to find it. I just need to like be open to try and, and mess things up and, and, and see what happens. And I think the messiness, especially, or or like when you don't know anything goes, so you can really, when you don't have that vision, anything, you, you can just try stuff and it really opens up every opportunity. Um, and there's so many like with recording, for example, there's so many like right things to do, quote unquote, right things to do with like, oh, this is a good kick drum sound. Uh, sh- sure. But why not, you know, go approach it from some other some other way and mess it up. And that's that's where a lot of good things happen. There's fertile ground when you let go of what should be. And find something else. 
Yeah. So the word that's coming to mind as you're talking about this is trust. And I'm wondering, like, did you have the sense of trust before you started following the flow and letting things kind of show themselves to you? Or did you develop it along the way when maybe other things didn't work? Or mm. how, how did that come together? When you say trust, what are you, what are you directing that trust in? Like you're in yourself or trust of what? I think it's got to be yourself and also the process and you know, that whatever it is that's trying to come through you is going to have something to show you that's worth your time rather than, oh, this is just this side thing. And why did I waste the last three hours on it? I, I think it could come up in multiple ways. So you can take that whatever way seems yeah. right. One of, one of the, one of, one of the things that I say a lot, um, going into something is it's going to be great. And that little phrase, like, I, there's trust, there's trust in there. Um, even trusting that phrase, like uh, you could, you could be uh, looking at, uh, something really challenging and, and be overwhelmed and be like, Oh God, how am I going to do this? And then just say, it's going to be great. And then you just take the next step and it, there is trust in, yeah, it will be great. You just gotta, gotta do things. Um, you gotta do the next step to, uh, to, to, to see what will happen. But yeah, there is, there is, there is trust in, in, and also being okay that if it's not what you expect or if it's not that great, you're going to be fine. Um, that, that's another realization, especially when people get worried about, and I get worried about, you know, the next job or making sure bills are paid and, you know, uh, all those kinds of things, knowing that you're going to be okay and you're going to figure it out and we, we all, we're going to take the next step and that's going to lead to another step and that's going to lead to another step and you navigate your way and maybe, maybe you're worse off um, from somebody else's perspective, but maybe you're better off from in, from your own perspective. And that, it's going to be great as like a, I mean, it's a joke amongst my friends, like, <laughs> but, um, because I mean, music and almost anything creative can be so, can be so fussy and we get caught up in details and perfections and making sure everything's just right. But like letting that go and realizing it's, it's going to be great. Um, I, I, that there is, yeah, there is, there is a degree of trust in that. I mean, maybe it's an optimism, but it's also a, a sense of, it's not just optimism. It's, it's a realism. Um, it, I try to be realistic about this stuff and, uh, it's with, with that comes a piece at whatever outcome. Yeah. Have there ever been moments when that seemed like it wasn't working for you or you thought, Oh boy, it, it's, it's been great up till now, but this time it's going to get me. Or have you just always managed to keep that at bay? Um, it's a, it really is a, um, it's a, it's a constant, it's a constant thing that if, if, I mean, like say the, the current state of business is not great. 
in terms of, uh, uh, you know, income, that's a nice, simple one. That's not that great, but like we, how we react to that situation can really cause it. It can either cause a downward spiral. If I, if I don't say, if I like get, let myself get down and, um, I, what's the opposite of it's going to be great. It's going to, uh, this is going to suck. This is going to be, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like that kind of mentality it f- can be a downward spiral, both in terms of how you produce, how you react and mentally and physically, it can be really hard on yourself. Um, I'm going to say myself. Um, so even in the, not so great, um, situations, um, keeping, keeping it open and knowing that the worst, uh, the worst case scenario isn't that bad. And you're going to figure it out. You're going to figure out the next step. Um, yeah. Uh, Yeah. So it, but it, it, but it is something you gotta, you gotta live in that and constant remind, constantly remind uh, yourself so that you don't let yourself downward spiral. I, I'm saying you, but I really should be saying so that I don't let myself <laughs> downward spiral. Oh, I don't know. I think there are probably a lot of people who are going to listen to this who will find themselves thinking, hmm, maybe this is worth a try. I hope I so, have, anyway. Yeah, I hope so. So you mentioned earlier how working with something visual changed the way that you record or write or both or the process. And I'm curious to hear more about that. Yeah, the working to picture, um, whether it's film or an advertisement or stage, there's a, there's a, well, one, it's collaborative. I'm, I'm, I'm collaborating with the director. I'm collaborating with what I'm seeing. Um, and what I'm creating is not my own. It's truly, I'm, 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 I'm a, a, I'm serving a, a purpose creatively. I'm, I'm a, I'm more of a, I don't know if this is totally right, but sometimes I, I make the distinction between artist and uh, craftsman. Mm-hmm. And I guess it's a craftsperson maybe. Um, but um, where sometimes an artist, and especially these days we think of art as being sort of ego. And this is my, this is what I, this is what I need to express to the world. Um in in the case of of scoring something and collaborating with with directors and with picture and all that stuff it really becomes like a craft it becomes a a skill that that i that i really enjoy sort of honing and working with someone and i'll do what i think is right and the director will say something that oh no try doing this instead so then i have to react and translate words that are not musical into musical, uh, Mm -hmm. things. Um, and, and then, and often you, like we said before, I, you can go places and it ends up being 
a place that I didn't, I didn't foresee and is better than I could have done without that collaboration. Like that's, that's a, that is a beautiful sort of fertile ground of creativity is, is being collaborative. And I think working to picture you, you get that, you get that as opposed to like, I don't know if I just wanted to <laughs> express my emotions in a song or what would that, you know, that's sort of the art artistic thing, um, which I do. And I love that as well, but um, to picture it's really, it's really serving a purpose and it's to make that project, that, that visual thing come to life and, and really make make elevated, elevate that. Um, and it isn't to, to, you know, serve my artistic, uh, output and, and a lot of, uh, you know, being in, being in the creative world for a living, you have to put, you have to put your ego aside anyway, because you are commissioned to do something for someone else. Um, and that's a, a, you know, that's a good, I, 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 I love that. Um, it, it again, it, it kind of hones the craft skill and doesn't become about me and it becomes about, yeah, elevating that project. So how much of a project like that is inspired by the visual and how much is information from the director and how much is purely you? I mean, I'm sure it varies, but how, how does that all come together? Yeah, that, I mean, all of those are sort of like sliders on the, on the mixing board that, that <laughs> get balanced and there's never, there's never any, um, there's, there's never any like fixed ratio of those things. Uh, but as a, as a composer, um, I get influenced by really, really everything. Um, if say it's a film and there's a, a scene and it's, and it's dark and there's some wind and then I, so that's the audio thing. And so I'm going to, I'm going to react to the score needing to fit in with the sound that's already there and the emotion that's coming on the screen or the feeling that, that needs to be there. And often that's the director's sort of saying literally, uh, this needs to sound like this, this needs to have this energy, et cetera. So I'm, I'm there's, a, there's feedback from, from the picture and from the director and, and sometimes, you know, all, all sorts of other people want to say what's working and what's not working. Um, and, um, so it, it, yeah, being, I, you know, being open to, letting these dynamics move what I do and, and influence what I do to be something else. And, um, you know, not holding what I make too preciously. Mm -hmm. And that's where the, you know, the artist and crafts person really, um, there's a line there <laughs> that sometimes can be uh, emotionally challenging when, when say I write something I love and, the director's like, "Ugh, that's not right at all." And then you know, being as uh, keeping my ego in check is a con is a good constant, also reminder of how to how to approach um, this sort of the work of commissioned artisan in uh, in this case, in a case like that. It reminds me of Faulkner's advice about killing your darlings. You know, the things that you love, maybe the things that need to die have, have you ever taken something that somebody said 
this isn't what we want and you loved it and turned it into something else afterwards? Or has that just kind of gone by for, the wayside? For sure. Yeah. I, I'm all the time. I mean, like I'm fine if somebody doesn't love stuff. I mean, when we, we put, we, we, as, as artists put out, it's it's up there for people to to thumbs up or thumbs down so i'm i'm used to people not liking things and that's great and i'm i'm comfortable with that um and when they don't and if and i i mean i try not to put out anything i don't like <laughs> you know mm -hmm. like even when it's a a tough project and they're asking me to do something that i don't think is a good direction um trying to have integrity creatively i try to take that direction that I might not really want to do. And it's a challenge and make it the best it can be creatively. So I try, I try to keep that integrity as far as a creative output, no matter what the project. So I, when somebody doesn't like something that I do like, I, I love, I love repurposing or, or, uh, and seeing, seeing where it can go. Um, some, you know, uh, sometimes uh, they'll they can, sometimes they can live on their own um sometimes they can become a song sometimes i yeah i'm i i love i love the idea of of repurposing for sure so i want to make sure that we get to opus orange because that's an important thing and so i'm wondering if you can tell us how that band came to be i know that Sometimes it's just you, sometimes there are other people. So it's a little bit different than what most people typically think of as a band. So I'm just wondering about that. Yeah. Um, I, when I, since we talked about this, when I moved from Chicago to LA, um, at that time, um, people had websites and I remember, um, to, to sort of have your reel and I, I needed to have like some music reel to, to show people that might need a composer. So like, I, you know, got the domain opusorange.com, which was just like opus being um, a, a collection of works. Like a, in the classical world, they they'll do a. It's almost like an album in the classical sense. Opus nine is this person's ninth group of works that includes uh, maybe a handful of tracks or whatever compositions so that's that came from my classical background and orange came from i was in a band called orange was the color of her dress which is a charles mingus song <laughs> anyway so I, I i quickly didn't overthink that at all and i just got this domain name and put my reel up and i would send it to potential employers and say hey check this out or or directors or any anything that it was a way to show my reel um in the in the email and virtual world um so jumping forward from that move um it it, it just that those words kind of stuck together for me and then um like the the first thing that we released i remember i got a i got a ukulele um because i went camping with my buddy and he had a ukulele and i was like what's that and i kind of picked it up and fiddled around and fumbled along on it um and so the the first Opus Orange album EP was was sort of songs that were born from f flailing at a uke on a <laughs> ukulele, um, and and that that's how that was born. But it, I mean, Opus Orange is is me and sort of my outlet as an artist in any 
anything that I might want to release. Um, the and outside, like in the swimming in the pool with me is a bunch of great friends and artists that that uh, some like we all it's it's a collective of sorts, and so it depends on you know who's available and wants to do stuff because i mean in, in la everyone does everything and they're all hustling and they're not always available and we all you know have different gigs and different stuff so having a a collective of people to call on um w when we want to get together is great because uh if someone can't make it someone else can and it, be it becomes uh, a nice little organism um and it allows for it allows also for me to 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 do what i want instead of it's, i mean what we release isn't just band music it's there's a there's a film soundtrack a couple film soundtracks on there there's a solo piano album um you know so i you know that it it allows me to to have fun with what I release and not just be tied to a band or a sound or a, or even a genre. That actually sounds so much cooler than just, I have a band and we do cover tunes. Sure. Sure. <laughs> you know? It's, it's fun. It's, it's always moving. It's always, it always, it always, it's a, yeah, it's like a living organism that kind of moves around with, with sort of my, my songs, at or my creative personality at the center of it it also reminds me of you know the way that you went through undergrad trying everything you know going back and forth between all these things so you're still you're still playing with all these different ideas and putting them together which i think is really cool yeah 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 so i know that like Opus Orange has existed for a while and gone through all of these different permutations. Is their trajectory feels like the wrong word considering the conversation we've already had here, but like, have you noticed ebbs in the flow of how it has grown and changed or has it just been a little bit of this and a little bit of that without that kind of overall pattern? Does that make sense? Um, yeah, I think so. And, and trajectory is, is not, it, yeah, is not the right word because I don't, I don't, I, I, we allow these things as this living organism moves along. Um, and, uh, for a, a great example is, you know, during the, during the pandemic, um, it became really isolated and eventually, um, my, my good friend and drummer James and I, we would, mask up and go into our studio just the two of us and and we we got into a good a good sort of zone creatively that uh, you know I could nobody could have foreseen that um but we would I would be on guitar or something and and have a vocal mic set up and he'd be on drums and we just kind of like found this this creative groove that we followed along and would go in and then eventually like set up some mics and re recorded started recording stuff and being a little bit more um we were i was following the the energy of where where james and i were happened to be moving in and recorded some songs 
with just the two of us. Um, and then, uh, event and like songs that were written in, in that, uh, in that, uh, space and in that, uh, energy space. And then, um, to fill, to fill it out, I ended up, you know, the bass players in Sacramento. And so I sent him tracks and that kind of, that kind of thing. And a lot of people did this during the pandemic as musicians, because we, we still need to, we still need to make music. So it was a little bit of, um, sending files and whatnot, but, um, the, this album that we're releasing right now, um, was born of that. So like, I didn't, I, like I didn't know that was a trajectory, uh, I, a year, well, a year and a half ago, but I, I followed it and I'm, 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 I, I love music can be like, especially as, as I release things, they're little snapshots of like a moment in time. And, um, there, and then w once that happens and you move on to the next thing, that's great. Um, so this is, this is a snapshot for me and it has, the, the album's called Object Lessons and it has, um, it's a, it, maybe it has a little more, a little bit more teeth than our previous stuff. Um, but at any rate, I'm, I'm really proud of it and, uh, excited to re release it. And that's, you know, we, we've released two songs and we have a, we have a third single coming up in August and the album coming out at the end of August. So we're excited about that. And then James and I, cause he's also here with me in Santa Monica. So he's the one that I see w weekly. Um, and we make noise often. So, um, we're, you know, we'll see where the next thing leads and continue to not have a trajectory. <laughs> <laughs> Have have you noticed since since you talk about these things being a snapshot of a moment in time, with the pandemic in particular, but maybe not exclusively, have people have their their reaction to music changed? You know, especially in that eighteen months since it started. Gosh, it's hard to tell. It's hard to tell reactions. Were I mean, I everyone can has consumes music differently whether it's on a, a a playlist on spotify for example where they put it on or a listener might put it on and not even know what band is playing they're just like playing mm -hmm. a playlist and um to little 15 second snippets on tiktok to like everyone's consuming music in a in a way that i mean i i can't begin to under, understand how it, all the different ways that people consume things, but it is hard to tell. It's, it's hard to tell like, and the effect of, of how, how music is being received. That's being released during and now. And, and it, yeah, I mean, it's hard to guess any of that stuff. And as an independent artist, it's also hard to get things heard amongst all the, the noise. And, um, I, I know that, you know, it's Opus Orange. The music we make isn't going to be pop 
radio and like that's mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not ch- trying to be um and so like i'm grateful if <laughs> if w- one person hears it that's awesome um at, and at the same time i want as many people to hear it as possible so the the sort of marketing aspect of releasing music as an independent artist is is, is tough and like you need to have a s- social media presence and i'm i'm not, i'm just not that i'm not that guy um there's and people that i love that are really successful like they have a thing and they're able to be quippy and uh, yeah it's it's i just make music you know <laughs> and yeah yeah it's it's tough it's tough out there to um, to, to to market it and get ears on it if you're not pushing it with some razzmatazz yeah and social media can totally take over your life and then you go why am i spending all my time on facebook instead of making music too so yeah i just wondered if there was you know more feedback than usual or anything like that in the last year just because i feel like being so isolated we all paid more attention to the things that we could get our hands on that kind of improved the mood and music is the first thing that i think of for that usually Netflix probably is second, even though I did not spend my whole pandemic watching Netflix like I know a lot of other people did. Sure. But but yeah, I just I, I feel like that, you know, we appreciate things differently having gone through this year of where did everybody go? Where did my life go? What's happening? Yeah. So I remember at the beginning, um the the live streaming was a a good outlet for a lot of artists and I, I i did it a few times and it was it was necessary like it was a i was grateful to have this this sort of tool that wasn't utilized as as deeply as it became utilized post uh march 2020 but um yeah so it, it was interesting and like i i I kind of loved the the back and forth that happened with those few that I did. Um, And it was, it was necessary. It was like, Oh, I I needed, I needed to do this. Like it it was, that's what I mean by necessary. Uh, It felt, it felt good to do that. And to, and it's cool because the live streaming, you have people all over the world or at least the country that can come hang out and listen to music with you as opposed to if I play a club locally, like you, you just, that's impossible for most. Mm-hmm. Um, so like having that, huh, it's, it's right here and you just click on it and then we can hang out um, and I'll play some songs. Um, that was, that was an interesting dynamic. Um, and it, it, it was, it was kind of short lived for me as an artist. I, I I, I I enjoyed it at the be- in the first few months, and and then I switched gears. Like I said, with with James, I I switched gears to like making. I needed to make. Like I followed that first. I needed to reach out to some people via the live streams, and then I needed to like. Okay, that was I did that. That's I needed to make make music, and that's where this new record comes from. That brings up an interesting sort of 
balance in that relationship between needing to perform for people and needing to create something new. How does that tend to fall out for you? Um, we, I, 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 I always need to create music in, in some way. And the performance thing is my, I do love it. And I really love playing clubs and that kind of thing. Um, we just don't do it that often. Uh, but it performing really does sort of, um, scratch an itch for me that I, that I really love, um, the, and, and it's hard work. You got to, you know, as far as rehearsing and like make, making sure things are up to snuff with, with whoever the ensemble is at that time. Um, but I love, I, I do love playing live. It's, 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 it's messy. It's, um, you, you know, who knows how the sound is going to be. You're not in control of that. So you let it go. Um, and who knows if my voice is going to hold up and <laughs> I'm, I'm not a, I'm not like a, I'm not like a, singer trained wise so like my you know i sometimes i'll hear hear back old live things i'll be like oh god i'm really out of tune um but it's fine like at the time it felt right and i love i love that the live thing i mean there's so much at risk an audience has has you one you have one shot at like playing the song you don't you don't get to like do it again which you, you don't have that risk in the studio you can take it again you can take it until you're happy um but in a live scenario, the risk factor is like, it's so special. It creates, it creates an energy or there is an energy because there's risk that I, that I really enjoy. I, I want to say that's so interesting because so many people wouldn't say that. And yet it totally goes with everything that you've said before this, that that would be something that would just totally work for you. Yeah, it, it does work for me. I, I wish I was, I wish I was better at like, um singing and performing and being exciting on stage but you know i i do i do love i do love it i i thrive on the energy that back and forth from whoever's listening i thrive on the energy of the risk that i could screw up but just go for it and like it's gonna be great um and th that kind of uh, uh, no safety net. I, I that's pretty, that's pretty fun. I, I really enjoy the live thing, but you know, not, not everyone is made for that. Um, and you know, um, I read a little bit of your bio about how this, this sort of stage fright, not mm. stage fright, but like just a little bit of pulling back from the performance for you. Right. Did, did you have that? Oh, I have had wicked stage fright that has largely kept me from performing for years, though it's also been a question of I sing, I don't play an instrument, so I can't just go and accompany myself somewhere. So that does make it a little bit more complicated, though sure. eventually you also have to say to yourself how much of that is an excuse so that I don't have to deal with the stage fright. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I I I know the stage panic thing real, real well. Yeah. It it's such an interesting um yeah, I mean, uh, you know, it it's a it's a risk. It's a mm -hmm. risk, and um, being, I for me, I need to be open to fail. I need to I need to be okay with failing, and I need to be okay with with 
with that. Um, and that's kind of what gives it an energy for me, <laughs> like a, uh, just a feeling that you can't, you can't get without that. <laughs> um, it's yeah. Yeah. And that's so interesting too, because, you know, failure for most people is the thing that we most desperately want to avoid. Yeah. And, and I've been, you know, thinking about that whole idea a lot lately, just because it's come up in different contexts. And, you know, even though I know that that partially fuels my own stage fright issue and is not my friend, it's, it's one thing to realize intellectually that failure actually may be the best thing that ever happened to you. It can be the quickest way to learn something, to progress in something, you know, failure actually is probably your best friend. Yeah. But it's another thing entirely to get past that ingrained fear of it and, and live by it. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I wish that was, I wish it was, I wish there was more sort of grace extended to everyone to fail. Um, I, I mean, I don't, I'm not a commentator on the social media aspect, but like, there's just so much perfection and so much people are so curated and careful on presentation. Um, and, and maybe that, maybe that feeds it too, but it, uh, the, I, I just wish that we were allowed, not that we're not allowed it, but it, it just feels like there's, there's not enough allowing allowance for failure or even even allowance for being like down or sad or if there's there's a there's a stigma that like oh if you're crying let me cheer you up uh, you know you don't necessarily need to cheer them up like go through it go, let people go through that stuff um i mean, I mean it's almost like a People that yeah, well, like have a have, if you have a fever, your body heats up because it needs to kill a kill a virus or kill a bacteria, typically. And but when we get fevers, this is typically broad stroke. Take a leave and kill that fever. But really, if you let your body heat up like it's supposed to, and it'll kill the fever. That you know we we don't allow those extremes to to really because it's uncomfortable it's unpleasant you're gonna feel terrible and but if you, allowing it makes you stronger and better um i wish there was more grace for failure and and for being down and even being angry and not everything needs to be uh, you don't need to always put water on the anger or put cheerfulness when you're sad yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm rambling, but oh, but it's great rambling because yeah. <laughs> it's. I, I mean, I I people who are listening can't see me, but I've been sitting here nodding my head so much um, because it's like, yeah, we're we're afraid of the pain, and so we just want to make it go away. Yeah. When 
there's so much good stuff that can come out of the pain if we let ourselves be there with it. And we deny ourselves that full range of life if we say, oh, no, no, I'm sad. I need someone to cheer me up. Please make me feel better because I don't want to be sad rather than saying, okay, what's going on with this sadness? What does this mean? What can I channel it into? You know, I mean, yeah, so many people love sad songs, right? They just don't sure. want to feel sad. They love sad poems and sad movies. They're cool with it happening to somebody else. Sure. Yeah, right. But we don't want to experience it ourselves. And, and, you know, you mentioned the social media and the perfection thing. And I think that that's a lot of it too. You know, there's the perfectionism and the tendency to compare ourselves to everybody else are probably not exactly a full circle on the Venn diagram, but they overlap an awful lot. And, and, you know, it, at the core, so much of that comes from the idea that we're not good enough. And then you go and you look at social media, you look at Instagram and all of the beautiful pictures and what do you see? Yeah. You, you just get more of this. I'm not good enough. And you're chasing after something that doesn't exist because perfection is mostly a myth. And it's all because you've let everything teach you that you're not good enough when everybody's good enough. We're all fine and we're all able to do things, so many more things, but we're so scared that we're not good enough that we don't want to fail and then we don't take the chance and try. Yeah. Um, growing up in learning jazz um, and improv- in like improvising, you don't learn how to improvise, you just do it. But um, one of the sort of like guru statements, I forget who told me it, but like when you're say you're taking a solo and you hit a wrong note, hit it again and maybe hit it a couple more times and it starts to sound mm-hmm. intentional. And, and because of that, like it kind of, uh, that, that sort of advice was like, Oh, I can, I can screw up. Yeah. I, I, I am. I thank you for allowing me to, so that to, to, to mess up, in quote unquote, even though it's not really mess improv is improv. Um, but it, it really did allow, allow those wrong notes and allow those mistakes and then play with them, see how they see what, what happens to those wrong notes and those mistakes. Um, because maybe it's not wrong. Yeah. <laughs> you know? um, yeah. You're, you're you know. reminding me, you know, the, in the last couple of months, I, I started to a certain extent tackling the stage fright by recording songs on TikTok. Awesome. Because I, I, back in January, I stumbled on the fact that you can do duets on TikTok. And I was so intrigued by it that I was like, I have to try this. I have to try this. If you had told me the day before that I would end up the next day recording a duet and posting it on TikTok, I would have called the nice men in the white coats to come get you. But you know, it, that's literally how it happened. And it, the first one I did was a sea shanty, not realizing that this was this huge trend. So I was amazed at how many people actually looked at it. I was kind of freaked out actually, but, but I made up a harmony to go with the thing. So I had to like learn the tune and then make something up and record it and not drive myself crazy before the afternoon was over in the process. But, but that kind of got me playing with, you know, all of these standards that I know well enough that there were a couple times that I recorded something and then for like the next three days, my 
right brain would just be playing with it when I was, you know, doing the dishes or, or whatever else. And I would notice all of these weird little fun things happening. And, and I got to where I would be in the middle of it. And I would be like, you have totally lost the plot sister. (laughs) (laughs) Where are you? You, this doesn't harmonize. This doesn't anything. And yet I would find a way back to where I was supposed to be. Uh And I found that so fascinating. It was like, okay, as long as I know where I'm going, it doesn't really matter what happens in between as long as I can get back there. And and that's what your comment reminded me of. I had never really played with anything like that before. And it just was so fascinating. It allowed you to try whatever path you wanted to, to get from A to B. Yeah. And it was really freeing to just be like, I can play with this and I have no idea what's coming. And I I mean, this was like mostly me in my kitchen, you know, it Mm -hmm, wasn't mm -hmm. something I was recording, but it was like, wow, look at that. And I don't know how many people play with things enough to discover that you can think you've totally messed up in the middle, but still bring yourself home by the end of it. And it's all okay. Yeah. Right. Freedom, freedom in failure. It's important. Yeah. And is it really failure if you manage to get back on your feet by the end? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that's, that's not failure. I, I, yeah. Even changing the idea of what is failure, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. failure, failure could just be freedom and exploration rather. Right. Right. Yeah. Let's call it that. Let's yeah, start a movement like and call it that instead of failure and get people unfreaked out about falling flat on their faces. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Maybe there should be like a whole section of Instagram devoted to, I fell flat on my face. This is what I did. Here it is. Let's make mm-hmm. this normal. I would love that actually. <laughs> I think there is, they just call them fail videos or something. I guess, but is <laughs> we that... got to change, we got to change the perspective. Yeah. Cause that's not normalizing it. That's making fun of people who fail, which is not what we're going for. Here. Yeah. That's, it's a tricky, tricky thing to, it's a, it's a lofty goal on the social media to not be made fun of. Yeah. I don't know. And now I'm hoping that somebody who listens to this will pick up on mm-hmm. it and find a way to make that work. Cause I think that that would be a, a breath of fresh air for everybody that we all that we all need. Right. So see your ramble led us to great places. Uh, all right. It. Yeah. You gotta let it, <laughs> let it happen. See where it goes. You do. Yeah. So there was one other thing that I wanted to be sure to ask you because you've used the word messy a couple of times. So we perfect, perfect to go here right now. I think people are afraid of messy too. And yet obviously messy has been really important in your process. So I'm wondering if you can maybe tell us a little bit more about how messy works for you. And, you know, if you have any advice to people for embracing the mess, I think that would be great. Yeah. I mean, when I'm, when I'm in the thick of creating the, like the room and the cables and the instruments start, you know, taking off the wall and like uh, leaning up against here and leaning up against there. And sometimes that leads me to like, uh, to because of the mess you see things uh you can see i can see my room a little differently and like maybe i i i pull out an amp that i haven't used because i didn't see it back there or like rearranging and like yeah like messing things up is is sort of uh a fun it's it's something i try to do um whenever i'm i'm creating even like recording um i'm i'm 
I'm getting better at recording recording things. Um, I'm you know there's people that are music are recording engineers, and that's not me. I'm a I'm a <laughs> I'm a musician, but I but I, I have to record like I said before. So I've been trying to get better at being a recording engineer. Um, and so like say I get some good drum sounds and that I don't know twelve microphones and uh, and then the next day instead of keeping that great drum sound, I'll like take it all down and like rearrange microphones and replace stuff up. And it's a mess and it's, I got to figure out where the cables are going and all that stuff. But that kind of exercise of, Oh, that was great yesterday. I'm going to mess it up and see if I can make something great today. Um, and, and sort of thriving in that, in that, in that, um, I don't know, not, it's not chaos. It's really just, yeah, mixing up the stuff and seeing how, if you can look at it differently. Um, I mean, you know, the, the dead poet society standing on the desk and looking at something mm. from just a different perspective. That's, it's not necessarily messy, but it is what messy does is it allows a shift in how you're looking at things because, because it, everything's not in order and everything there's, there's you you can just look at the perspective totally differently and see where that leads yeah uh that it's 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 also uh, i'm 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 a very on the flip side i'm a very <laughs> neat person so like after a session i like i'm very particular with how i wrap up my cables and where i put my microphones and and like keeping um i, I it's kind of like a, in a kitchen like kitchens are made to be a mess, especially when you're making, making food. And, and, and then like, I, I'm, I'm a mess in the kitchen. And then I, I am meticulous about cleaning it on the, <laughs> on the flip side. But that's, that's when we're, that's when you're done making something. Um, but I, I love, I love creating in the, in the mess. If anybody's afraid of, of trying that and making a mess of any thoughts for them uh i i I don't know allowing allowing yourself it has to do with allowance i mean this is a theme of what we're talking about but like there's there's nothing there's absolutely nothing wrong and possibly many things good about that you can find in a mess yeah so don't be afraid of the mess or of the failing or exploration so many of these other things yeah not knowing where you're going yeah yeah well i've kept you for a little more than an hour so that's all right (laughs) it was a pleasure it was fun likewise i i love where we've ended up so me too so if somebody's looking for let's see somebody's looking for the album this will probably come out right after your album comes out Mm mm-hmm Anywhere in particular that they should take a look it's on um, Apple and Spotify and all those good things, or it's on Apple and Spotify and all those good things. Um, the you know all those streaming wherever people consume music, it'll be there. Um, and it's Opus Orange is the sort of quote unquote band name, <laughs> the collective name, and um, the latest album is Object Lessons, and that uh, if this comes out after it it came out on august 27th 
There we go. And I've, I've listened to a couple of the songs and I really like them. So I recommend everybody check it out. That's this week's show. Many, many thanks to Paul Bessenbacher, PB, for joining me. If you found this episode thought-provoking, please do leave a review and pass it on to a friend. Thanks. You can find show notes, the six creative beliefs that are screwing you up, and more at fycuriosity.com. I'd also love for you to join the conversation on Instagram. You'll find me at fycuriosity. Follow Your Curiosity is produced by me, Nancy Norbeck, with music by Joseph McDade. If you like Follow Your Curiosity, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to tell your friends. It really helps me reach new listeners. See you next time.